0: It was indeed very kind of Debbie to ask me uh, to uh, preach here again on vocation, not only because no one's ever asked me back again before, (laughs) uh, but also because she asked me to preach on the same subject as Jeff did 13 years ago, which means that I've had to write another sermon. I thought when when I started doing this job I would only ever need one sermon, uh, but only 13 years after writing that sermon, I find I have to write another one, which is very good for me. May not be so good for you, but it's good for me. Anyway, anyway as last time I said everything I know about vocation, I thought I would preach this time about loss, just to cheer you up. Uh, but maybe uh, this sermon is not just about loss, maybe it's also about gain. And actually also about vocation as well, because I am the Dalson Director of Ordnance after all, and that's all I've got to talk about. So why loss? Well, because over the uh, 13 and a half years that I've been doing this job, I've spent hours and hours with people uh, exploring God's calling to them. And I've discovered just how incredibly painful it is uh, for so many people uh, to face a calling from God. Uh, The calling that I'm particularly involved in is, uh, as you've heard, to do with ordination. And uh, for everyone uh, called to that uh, particular ministry, uh, ordination will mean a great loss. All sorts of losses for them. But the joy of it is that they also, these folk, look forward to a wonderful gain in serving and obeying Christ. Um, Getting ordained didn't seem particularly painful to me at all. Uh, But then I was just a lad at the time uh, and you don't see all the pains when you're 20-something, do you? Uh, But now I'm old enough to be able to reflect a bit on the loss. Uh, that may have been involved in responding to God's calling, his vocation, uh, but also reflect on the wonderful gain that God has given me. Uh, A second reason why I want, uh, uh, indeed need to preach about loss is that, as we were reminded at the beginning of the service, this is still the Easter season. Uh, The season when we remember Christ's astonishing loss on the cross the pain he so wonderfully embraced uh, for us. But it's also caused the season when we remember that equally wonderful gain of the resurrection. And that uh, was a pattern, of course, not just in history for Jesus 2,000 years ago, uh, but that pattern of death and resurrection is a pattern for each and every Christian, whatever they're called to, ever since cross and resurrection, loss and gain. Uh, then since I, I uh, uh, last preached here, over the past 12 years, I think, uh, I've been back nine times uh, to uh, Burundi, where we used to work 30 plus years ago. Now, if your geography is a bit hazy, uh, you all, all know exactly where Tanzania is because of Liz. Well, Burundi is sort of at the top left-hand corner uh, of Tanzania. Uh, I ought to confess something here uh, in the presence of Liz. The only country in East Africa I have never been to is Tanzania. Although I think I've seen it in the distance. Not all of it, you understand, just a bit of it. Uh, uh, but obviously uh, Burundi is far more important um, Uh, Those nine visits have reminded me uh, of something uh, and something perhaps you you don't see when you're actually working, living permanently in a place as we used to Um, because over those nine visits I've met so many people who have experienced such astonishing loss in their lives, loss because of war or disease or poverty or hunger but people whose lives speak also incredibly richly of the gain that there is in Christ. And finally, when I've been in Burundi, I've spent quite a lot of my time teaching, uh, teaching people who are training for ministry. And uh, one of the things they've asked me to, preach, uh, to teach when I've been there has been Philippians. So this uh, amazing passage from chapter 3 that we have just read uh, keeps coming back to me. Let's just remember what Paul says there in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish, garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Uh, Of course, it's not only in Philippians uh, that Paul talks about gain and loss. Uh, There's a sense in which uh, what we find in Philippians is him setting down in very personal terms uh, what he sets out in more developed theological terms right through uh, Romans. And of course, it's not just Paul, is it? He's, he's only reflecting here uh, Jesus' own words uh, that we find in places such as uh, Mark chapter 8, uh, verse 34. Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, uh, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel... We'll save it. So, uh, to go back to Philippians, what is it that Paul has lost? Well, what he's lost is really, I think, something to do with identity. His precious, exclusive identity uh, as a Jew. Uh, Verse 4. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. Uh, at the very heart of all that Paul has to say in all his letters is the conviction that Jesus came for everyone. He didn't come just to be the Messiah uh, of the Jewish race. He didn't come just for those who were, in one sense, already in, but he came for the whole world. That's his central message of Galatians, of Romans... And it's worked out in practice in Philippians. Therefore, uh, those who are in Christ Jesus, those who know him, those who are responding to his calling, have to have an identity transplant. Uh, Some people, of course, think that in order to be a Christian, you have to have your personality surgically removed. Uh, But in fact, there is surgery involved, but the surgery is much more delicate and much richer than that. It's about having an identity transplant. Uh, Paul discovered that his his precious identity had to become loss. Uh, Actually, he uses a much ruder word than that at the end of verse 8, which our Bible rather politely translates as garbage or rubbish. But he's saying that his identity had to be thrown out. God took it away, but gave him so much more in return as he found a new, glorious identity in Christ. And where do we find our identity? In our home, our work, our family, our nationality, our Englishness, sorry, Our body, our bad experiences, our good experiences, our home, our friends, our hobbies, our sexuality. Those are the places where people find their identity. Many of those are good things uh, created and given by God. Some are not so good. But good or bad... The Christian has to let go of them all in order to find a far more wonderful identity in Christ. Verse 8. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And the further we go on with Christ, uh, the more we press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The more we shall find that the identity we've created for ourselves or that others have given us or even imposed on us. That identity will have to slip away so that we can say this more and more, Christ Jesus has made me his own. Uh, During the worst moments of the war in the Congo, uh, a country which has had more worse moments than virtually anywhere else on this planet, a lady was heard to say this, I didn't know that Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I had. And those words rather haunt me and won't go away. All that had given this lady identity in life had gone, stripped away very brutally from her and yet she still had the most wonderful identity of all. Jesus was all she needed. So those people who sit in my office and share the pain of this calling are not doing so because vicars are somehow special. No, because as we've heard, God calls people to be all sorts of things, to work with high finance and to work on the checkout in the local supermarket, to be teachers, nurses, stay-at-home parents, whatever it is. Uh, but uh, anyone who's responding to any calling from God will discover that it involves loss. That's there right through the Bible. It's there in the Old Testament as well as in the New Uh, Jeremiah tells us in sometimes graphic detail about the loss that came to him because he was called uh, to be a prophet. Suffering and ministry, loss and calling go together there in the Old Testament as much as they do on this side of the cross and resurrection. Sometimes the loss is one of identity, as it was for Paul. Sometimes it's a loss of relationship. Jeremiah missed out on marriage and friendship because of his calling. Sometimes the loss is is physical. Read 2 Corinthians and you'll find about some of the physical loss that Paul faced. But also how out of his loss came wonderful gain. Uh, So just let me be personal again for a moment. Try and tell you how something of this loss of identity and gain and gain of something, something richer has worked out for me. I am very much a Surrey person. I was brought up in Epsom, the other end of the county, uh, since the age of six. My mother still lives there. I was educated at a school, as good as any in the country, alongside other Surrey people. And I'm also uh, very much an Oxford person. At that school, you knew from the day you started which university you were going to go to. And there were only two to choose from. Unless you wanted to be a doctor when there was a third choice. What's interesting in my life, as I look back on it, is that God took me back to Oxford uh, to work there after 20 years away. And then, as you can see, he brought me back to Surrey after 30 years away. I adore Oxford, and I feel very much on home territory here in Surrey. But actually, when I did go back to Oxford, I found myself quite uneasy with lots of things about Oxford, especially the atmosphere of success which hangs over that city uh, like a malign, poisonous cloud. Now, where did that sense of unease come from? Uh, Presumably because God had, uh, for 20 years, called me away from Oxford. Called me uh, to the inner city. Called me to work in a city I never uh, had hardly ever been to before. I met people like Paul Selin, who was in my youth group. You didn't know that, did you? He is younger than me. I know he doesn't look it, but he is. <laughs> God had called me to mix with so many people I would never have mixed with otherwise if I'd stayed in Oxford. People had no connection with that university at all. Uh, but also, of course, God had called me away to work in one of the very poorest countries in the world. God gave me so much more, though, as he took some things away. He renewed my identity in all sorts of ways through his calling, ways I often wasn't aware of at the time. And thereby, I think, he enabled me to be much more effective in ministry when I did go back to Oxford, because I could both identify with the place and challenge it. At least I hope I did. Uh, Ten years after moving to Oxford, uh, we moved back to Surrey. Uh, In the interim, God had also called us to Southampton for five years. Uh, Actually, Southampton is one of the poorest areas in the whole of the south of England. It's very different uh, from the affluent southeast which surrounds it. And there again, God was working on that identity transplant, I think. And I can remember when I was driving around one of our Surrey parishes, uh, not this one, uh, but it was quite early on after I'd started this job, and as I drove around, I was feeling really ill at ease with the wealth I could see all around me, or at least I, I would have been able to see it if it hadn't been hidden behind a thick layer of rhododendrons. And I think, I hope that my ministry here in Surrey is more effective than if I just come back here when I was ordained and spent all my ministry in the Diocese of Guildford. Because God has chipped away at the Surrey part of my identity, I can both work with Surrey and also put some fairly pointed questions to it that I couldn't have done before. The fact that I'd lost Oxford and lost Surrey somehow meant that I gained so much more. God would take me to new places I hope to a deeper knowledge of him, to a deeper knowledge of myself, a deeper knowledge of others. So that I had, I believe I have, more to offer than before. Now I guess someone out there uh, will be thinking about other losses. Not so much the loss of identity that Paul majors on here in Philippians chapter 3, Not the sort of losses that seem inevitable when we follow Christ's call, but losses that may seem beyond our control. Losses that seem far more difficult to tie up with God's good purposes for us. The loss that comes with bereavement or illness or lack of independence or redundancy or something like that. But I think there is, here in Philippians 3, something of the right response to these losses also. And again, let let me be personal uh, in a way. Haven't we all had the experience of knowing two different people, perhaps quite elderly people, and this one is so gracious, so funny, so full of ministry uh, to others. She gives you so much more than you could ever give her. But the other one is so bitter and damaged and crabby. He's really hard work. But actually both seem to have suffered the same sort of loss in their life. Perhaps the first has lost more than the second. Isn't the difference between them something to do with their attitude to loss? The first has been able to offer the loss back to God, the God of the cross and the empty tomb, to allow God to take the loss and give his gain in return. The second cannot see beyond the loss. They have to hold on to it and be shaped exclusively by it. I can think of two prominent people Uh, In Burundi, uh, uh, at Matana, the place where we used to live. One of them is the dean of the cathedral there, he's called Fidel. All Fidel's brothers were killed in 1972 uh, when there was a brief and very nasty civil war in Burundi. What a loss! Uh, then there's uh, Bernard. He's uh, just uh, retired from being the Archbishop of Burundi and um, uh, he's um, uh, about to retire from being a bishop and to, uh, he's going to go off to Rome to represent the Anglican Church in Rome. Astonishing thing for an African. Uh, but Bernard's interesting amongst archbishops because actually he was in prison for two years uh, at the end of the 1980s. Hmm. We've only been in prison for two years. Would they be allowed to be the Archbishop of Canterbury? Both Fidel and Bernard actually come from opposite tribes, opposite backgrounds in many ways. Both of them have so much to give to others. They're incredible people to be with. So, was what they went through loss or was it gain? Well, it really was loss, astonishing loss. But perhaps they've been able to allow God to overlay their loss with his gain. So here are some questions that come out of all of this, all this sharing of loss with St. Paul, with my ordinance, with so many people I meet here and in Burundi. What is God calling you to and me to at the moment? Have we grasped that as he calls, so we shall face loss? But have we also grasped that through the loss, we shall receive the most amazing gain? Or are we at the point of knowing God may be calling us to something, But actually we find the loss involved impossible to accept. Or is that the case for someone else? That's someone in your family, someone close to you, who can't allow you to move on to that new thing because it will mean too much loss for them. All these are demanding, complex, deeply personal questions Ask and to face. Uh, perhaps the best response today, if there, if there are questions which connect with where you are, is to sit down with someone here or elsewhere, a Christian you trust, and talk and pray these things through. Ask Debbie or one of the other clergy uh, to pray with you or, or seek prayer ministry from someone. Being realistic and open about this loss open about it with God and with others, is, I'm sure, uh, one way of moving forward to gain. And one last point. Everything I've said today has to be treated as work in progress. Why is that? Well, because everything I've tried to say to you is not just about a biblical text, but about people. About Paul, about you, about me. And I, we, are only ever a work in progress. That's how Paul puts it in verse 12 of Philippians 3. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Sisters and brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead... I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, then that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Responding to God's calling is not about thinking that you've arrived but actually about realising that you haven't arrived, that we're all still work in progress. But what progress? What loss? What gain? What an Easter? What a Lord? Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus.
1: I don't know where you are today. I don't know what's going through your mind at the moment. We live in this tension, don't we? We talk a lot about wanting to be the person God has made us to be. That's a language we use a lot in this church. And yet the honesty of recognising the journey that we go through to get to that, we're not always so good at owning up to that. So thank you. Thank you for bringing that, William, for being so honest That there is a loss in living for Christ. And for each one of us, that loss will be different. How am I the Christian in the workplace? How do I stand out? How do I speak against something my boss is doing that I think to be unethical? How do I give up something that I hold dear in order to move into a different situation? How do I care for my neighbor who actually drives me mad? And the thought of going in and showing her love is just really freaking me out. But yet, we long to be the people that God calls us to be. The work in progress, we're not there yet. And when we are willing to enter into that, to face the loss, there is so much gain. And it may not be in worldly terms, but the knowledge that we are a loved child of God. Being the person he has made us to be brings all the gain that each one of us would want to have. We're going to turn back to, to sung worship, to coming before God with our lips, to sing of what might be going on in our hearts. So use this time as your response to whatever God has been saying to you this morning. Please stand.